0: Hello, hello, and welcome to More Than Money, a show that explores the psychology, emotions, and math of money so you can make better, smarter choices regardless of where you are on the income and wealth spectrums. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmins. Today's episode completes our multi-part conversation about questions. We kicked off this series with an episode where I shared questions that I get asked the most, and that was followed by an episode where I shared the questions that I wished people would ask me. And last week, I talked about the relationship between questions and our comfort zone. And my unscientific theory there is that questions can help us move beyond our comfort zones. And in that episode, I shared a link whereby you can anonymously ask a question. And while clearly those questions won't get answered here on today's episode, if you would still like to share a money question with me, you can submit your question by going to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash ask dash me dash anything. Again, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash ask dash me dash anything. I am recording today's episode on the heels of returning from a speaking engagement. So what I'm going to do is weave a few of the questions that I got during the Q&A session at the conference, as well as questions that I've gotten just this year from prospects and coaching clients. But before we dive in, this is the last call for the small business owners or entrepreneurs in our midst who are thinking about joining us for the pricing retreat on October 25th. If you are starting to map out your business plan and strategy for 2020 and are rethinking your approach to pricing or think that that might be something you should explore, well then I invite you to join us for this one-day retreat, which is designed to help you tackle pricing from all sides the financial, the emotional, and the personal. And in so doing, see how these different sides impact your bottom line and your personal financial health too. In the zone, how to price your genius happens live and in person in New York City, where you'll experience learning, group discussion, self-reflection, and breakout conversations. And by the end of the day, you'll have a pricing strategy that you are confident in and an answer to the question, what should I charge for this? Check out the quick training slash sneak peek video that I created so that you can get a taste of what you can experience, expect to experience the day of the retreat. And you can do that by going to jaquettetimmonscom forward slash hidden dash impact, jaquettetimmonscom forward slash hidden dash impact. And this is all about the impact that you have on pricing. The RSVP deadline has been extended to October 23rd, so not too much time to tarry any longer if this is what you want to do. Now, onto today's show. I'm actually, am going to approach this the way that I would a Q&A session at a live event, um, which is apropos since the first two questions come from the recent speaking engagement that I mentioned. And so one of the questions that the participants there asked is, how do I talk with my friends about money? And you know, clearly I don't have the full background of where this question was coming from other than the fact that you know, the person asking sees her friends uh, participating in, let's just say, unhealthy financial behavior. And you know, she considers herself someone who's actually good at money. So my suggestion to her was, instead of perhaps um, asking them questions, to actually share her experiences, and and more specifically, to share her wins and to share her failures. And a, a more concrete example that I provided was how you know there's a tendency that when you do something really well, like you you make an investment and the investment does well, you kind of brag about that and you should. But what we tend not to do is to then also share our failures. And so my suggestion to her was to share both sides, to share what she does, where she's you know, what she does, what she's been successful at doing what she's done, and it didn't turn out quite the way that she had hoped, and and use that as creating the environment and the space for people to come to her, to ask her the question of, oh, well, how did you do that? Because oftentimes, when we see people that are doing things that are detrimental to them, and we want to kind of help... Our, our help is not always received with the intent that we have behind it. And when you actually approach it from sharing first and creating the space for them to ask you the question, then you can actually engage in a, a dialogue that makes you feel good that you are helping your friend or family member, but it also helps them feel good. And that's a really key, important piece there. Um, this didn't come up in this particular at, at this particular conference, but I also sometimes hear this question when I am doing sessions for, I, and I think I've mentioned this before, I work with a lot of law firms. So when I'm doing sessions there and you've got the challenge of perhaps you um, as the the lawyer is now the highest earner in your, a circle of friends. And so here you are coming out of law school and you're earning, you know, close to, um, you know, $200,000 in some instances, maybe even a little bit more. And some of your friends and family, they're not earning anywhere near that. And so how do you have conversations when you've got that tension when it comes to pricing? I mean, pricing. <laughs> Pricing's on my mind um, when it comes to money and salary and behaviors and all of that. And that is indeed definitely tricky territory. But even in that instance, I would always suggest that you lead with the choices that you're making, the successes of those choices and those instances where something didn't work out the way that you had planned to really kind of emphasize the point that mistakes happen whether you are on the lower end of the income spectrum or the higher end of the income spectrum. So that's one question, talking with friends about money. Another question that came up during this most recent conference was this whole idea that I know a lot of listeners either have firsthand experience with or know someone close to them that does. And it's this whole issue of, you know, how do you move beyond paycheck to paycheck? And it would be remiss of me to not also include the fact that you, you may work as an employee and live paycheck to paycheck, but you could also have a business and live client to client or project to project. And so the question becomes, how do you get out of that cycle? And I think the first thing that you need to do in order to interrupt that cycle is to really have a better understanding of your cash flow. And that may seem like, oh, cheapers. Really, Jacques. that's so obvious. And yet, so often, um, the most obvious thing is the thing that tends to get overlooked and dismissed. So if you find yourself living paycheck to paycheck, of course, one of the first steps to do is to do an assessment and analysis of your expenses, but to also do an assessment and an analysis of when are things due? Because is is it really that you're living paycheck to paycheck or are you lopsided, meaning that more of your obligations are due at the beginning part of the month than at the end or vice versa? So it might not truly be that you're living paycheck to paycheck, but it might be that there are more responsibilities called upon your inflow at a particular time of the month that really exasperates that. So you've got to take a look at your expenses. You've got to take a look at your cash flow. And then you also have got to take a look at, well, maybe you really need to start thinking about earning more, right? So maybe if you work as an employee, that's a tap on the shoulder that you need to either get a new job or you need to ask for more where you currently are. And if you are an entrepreneur, a small business owner, maybe that means that you need to start charging more for your prices, um, or for your services, I should say. Again, pricing is on my mind. Sorry, guys. Um, and so that's kind of connected to this third question, which is about how do you get paying clients? And that was a really tricky one for me because I was like, huh, well, you know, I mean, I have thoughts about that, but I was like, well, how do you have a business if you don't have paying clients? And I think what was really at the at the base of this question was coming from the the fact that the business was started as a side hustle where there really wasn't a demand on the business to really generate and so the the services were either provided gratis or they were provided at a significant discount and now that the person wants to go full time they're realizing that oh i need to charge more for this and so this whole idea of under earning whether it's you know the work that you do as an employee or the service that you provide, or the product that you sell as an entrepreneur or business owner is really, really real. (laughs) And if you're suffering from this, you don't need me to emphasize that. So the question then becomes, how do you get, or not becomes, the question is, how do I get paying clients? And and really, what this really taps into is, how do you connect with the clients that see the value and what it is that you were bringing to the table and are willing to pay the price that you need to charge, that you want to charge. So it's it's less about um, how do I get paying clients, and it's more about how do I connect with the right clients for me, and right being so, oh, so subjective, Yet, at the same time, right, being connected to there is an exchange happening and who's going to benefit from what I'm bringing to the table, who's going to appreciate the value and be willing to pay the price that I want to pay. You know, I've said this in in other situations, you know, it reminds me of you can get a hamburger at McDonald's, you can get a hamburger at a a diner, you can get a, a steak or even a really good hamburger at a steakhouse. And so... Each of those places are going to feed you. Each of those places are going to provide you a different experience. And therefore, each of those places have a different price point. And you have to determine where you want to be on that continuum as the Service provider, if you're providing a service, and also as the employee, where do you want to be in the, the salary range that might be available within your company or within your industry? As a service provider or um, a, a product designer, where do you want to be? Wherever you want to be is fine, but make sure that you are connecting with that right client at that right level. So don't expect the person who has an expectation of a steakhouse experience um, or I should say, don't expect the person that, you know, has the budget, if you will, for a McDonald's to then be able to afford on a consistent basis the price point of a steakhouse experience. They might be willing to do it once, once a year or however many times a year, but it's not consistent and it's not frequently. So it's less about how do I uh, get paying clients and more, more specifically How do I get paying clients that are willing to meet me where I am and I can meet them where they are? So I hope that that was pretty clear. Another question that I get, and this is now question number four, how do I stop operating with money out of fear? And I see this so often in so many different ways. One of the ways that I see it is when people have a lot of money in savings, and, one which th- and when I say savings, I mean like in a savings account, you know, liquid, as opposed to that money being invested in, in some instrument that could actually um, help them really acquire wealth as opposed to having a lot of liquid stability. And I think here, the, the thing that you need to actually dive into is what's the source of the fear? Did you grow up not having a lot and now you have a lot, but you are afraid if you make a mistake, it's going to all evaporate and therefore um, you don't do anything. So it, it's almost like people that grew up in the Great Depression and how really, really conservative some of those people were when it, c- when it came to money because they had very firsthand experience with that. So if you are one of those people who you know, has a fear about money, has you know, a concern about having the confidence of quote unquote making the right decision, the thing you have to do there is really explore what's the root of that and, and where does that come from in your family background that may be um, manifesting itself today in your adulthood in a variety of ways. Another question, how do I develop a monthly financial plan? And so to me, this is about a number of different things. A, it's about being intentional, about giving your money direction, like telling it where it is you want it to go, what is its role in your life, what, what is the job that you want it to do, what, what are the goals that it's designed to help you to accomplish And basically reverse engineering, like thinking about how much do I want to save in different time parameters? What are the different ways that I want to invest and build wealth? What's the lifestyle that I want? And, and, And then as you've heard me say before, what do I need to earn to make all of that happen? And the plan comes into play from the standpoint of what are the choices you need to make to close the gap, the choices around what's the strategy, what's the discipline, What's the discernment? What are the boundaries that you need to erect? So I think a lot of times when people think of a plan, they don't really break it down into that level of detail And that it's great to know the big picture, but you need to actually break it down into what are the the perhaps even daily, weekly, monthly uh, choices that I need to make that's going to help me get from point A to point B which means setting aside the time to write down where is your point B, wherever that point B may be. Um, And recognizing then that once you have a plan, meaning you've got an endpoint in mind, you know where your starting point is, and you have an idea of how to close the gap between here and there, the, the other question then becomes, what are the systems that I'm gonna put into place or what are the habits I shouldn't say or habits, I should say and habits. What are the systems that you're gonna put into place and what are the habits that you were going to practice to enable you to actually, um, what, am I, what am I trying to say? To help you actually fulfill that plan. And I like the fact that the person said monthly plan as opposed to an annual plan, because with a monthly plan, what's really great about that is it doesn't feel as overwhelming as putting together a yearly plan. I know it's just semantics because month after month becomes a year, but it is really helpful if you were feeling overwhelmed by even getting started to just simply start with the smallest piece, and that piece being a month, 30 days. What do I need to do for the next 30 days? So when you think about your plan, the question should be, what habits do i need to practice for the next 30 days what's the system that's going to help me in practicing those those habits for the next 30 days and if i think about you know today whatever today's date is as being day 1 and 30 days from now being you know the month or 31 days what is the progress that i want to see and within that month what's the improvement that i want to see What what even perhaps may be the balance that you want to see in your various accounts? And then again, reverse engineer it so that you know more precisely what it is that you need to do today. So that would be my answer to that question of how do I develop a financial plan? Another question is, when should I start working with a financial advisor? And one... One thing I always tell people is that everybody, you know, you disagree with me or not, but I think everybody should have a CPA, that everybody should have somebody else that's doing their taxes, and preferably uh, someone with a CPA designation. That's my opinion. In terms of other members of your financial team, do you work with an investment advisor, whether they literally call themselves an investment advisor or a financial advisor or a stockbroker? A lot of it depends on how much actually in terms of assets you have for them to manage. Another aspect that factors into that is whether or not you want to have all mutual funds or uh, stocks or a combination. And another aspect of it is how involved do you want to be. So I would love it if I could just give you a straightforward, you know, this is precisely when you know you want to work with an advisor and it's not that simple without having some more background information. But what I would say is if you have absolutely no interest at all, meaning you're not gonna pay attention to how you are invested, you're not going to reevaluate um, your portfolio and make determinations around whether or not it should be, be balanced, if you're not going to focus on the overall asset allocation, if you're not going to make sure, you know, one bucket slash portfolio is complementary with another bucket or portfolio, then that is absolutely when you want to, you know, take on um, adding a financial advisor to your team. So that's how I would answer that question. Another question is my husband is the breadwinner, but I want to be more financially independent. How do I do that? And for this particular person, what I said to them was one part of being stepping more into that space of being financially independent is taking more of an active role in the management of the finances. So you know perhaps being more engaged in the daily financial or monthly financial responsibilities being more engaged in how the f- the family resources are invested one of the mistakes that i peop- i think people make is thinking that when it comes to couples money has to be 50-50 whether it's 50-50 in terms of the actual financial contribution or 50-50 in terms of the financial roles and responsibilities. I don't think anything in a relationship is ever 50-50, first of all. That said, I think that you've got to come up with a level of participation that feels right for you and that makes you feel as if you have a voice. And what that looks like is going to be different for each couple, but this person is someone that wasn't engaged at all beyond, you know, daily things like, you know, taking care of the the monthly bills like utilities and buying groceries and things of that nature. And that's important, absolutely. But it's not strategic. It's definitely much more transactional and tactical. And so if, if you're listening to this and you find yourself in this situation, or maybe you're the breadwinner, and you would really like it if your partner actually became more involved then making sure that they are participating in the more strategic decisions is a way of helping that independence come around. Independence, just to be clear, does not have to be equated with uh, the person who's earning more and and who has more. It has to do with access to information and understanding what's going on and and being a part of the decision-making process, especially on the more strategic Uh, financial decisions. And then um, another question, and I can so totally relate to this, is um, having conflicting feelings about an inheritance. And the question is, how do I make sure that I'm making the right choices? Because look, when you get an inheritance, right, the only reason why you got that money is because someone really important to you Died. And there does indeed come, I think, an additional pressure of wanting to make sure that you do the right things with that that pool of money. Here is where I think it is important to make sure that you're in a position as much as possible that you don't have to make any immediate decisions regarding those funds. So that you can really come at it from a, a place where you're not really deep, deep, deep in grief. That's one. Two, I think just like any other uh, you know, money that you might have, whether it's money that you're earning, money that you've saved, money that you've allocated for investing, you've got to be clear around what is its goal. So it might be really helpful to sit down and say, okay, I've got this pool of money and you know, my feelings about it are what they are and you need to definitely address those feelings. But then I think it's about, again, giving that pool of money a job, giving it direction, telling it what it is that you want it to do. How will you, and this is a really good question to ask yourself, how will you honor that person that left you that money with the choices that you make? So I think the question begets additional questions, but in the additional questions or with those additional questions, comes some, in, some insight around the things that you can do that will make you feel good about what you do with that money that you have inherited because of the circumstances. As I said in the last episode, questions tend to emerge under several different circumstances, right? They tend to emerge when you want to increase your knowledge, when you want to feel differently about yourself or a particular situation, when you want to do something new or at a larger scale, or when you want to express a new dimension of yourself. And I believe that the eight questions that I've shared with you, uh, two definitely came from a recent speaking engagement of mine and the balance of them came from intake forms because I always have an intake form that people fill out when they do a discovery call. Those came from intake forms for people that I spoke with as prospects and or as clients. But I believe that all of these questions really tap into one or several of these elements because they tap into people wanting to increase their knowledge, people wanting to feel differently, people wanting to do something new, and people wanting to express a new dimension of themselves. So whether or not you submit the Ask Me Another form and share your question with me, I would suggest that you carve out five to ten minutes, perhaps after listening to this episode, and jot down what are the money questions that you have right now. Really get it out of your head, because you know I'm a get-it-out-of-your-head person. And with your question, what are you looking to do? You know, does that question um, evidence that you're looking to increase your knowledge? Are you looking to feel differently? Are you looking to do something new or at a larger scale? Or are you looking to express a new dimension of yourself? You know, whatever is your answer uh, to that, what I think is important is asking yourself then, the next question is, what measures have you taken to get those questions answered? And um, does it remain a question that you plan to address? So you've written down the question. You've kind of dissected it to, you know, figure out is it a knowledge-based question or something else. But is it something that you've already taken some measures to get answered? Or is it something that is just an open question, right, that you just have, but you haven't taken steps to actually address it? And one of the reasons that I think it is so helpful to dissect your questions in this way is that it helps to illuminate patterns that you might otherwise overlook or dismiss. Patterns like, do you have the same question in essence, but it is triggered by different variables. Or do you keep having the same question over and over and over again because you're not really addressing the root? You're only dealing with the surface. You're only dealing with the trigger, but not the trigger for the trigger. Because remember, when we can step away from the question for a moment, what we really begin to realize is that it either is a problem-solving question or a question that helps you gain insight, and clearly, there are times when it can be both, Um, but you know it dissecting it can help you really understand the the question that you're really asking why are you asking it what's going to be the benefit to you for getting the answer and in my opinion the idea is never ever ever to get rid of questions sure it'd be nice to not have the same question over and over again but You know, even if you do, what it is really an indication of is that you haven't solved the problem or you haven't gained the insight that you need and so you just keep asking it until you actually do, until you or your situation has been transformed the way that you need it to be. Because here's the thing, while the question is important and you know I'm always all about a good question, um, the process of getting the answer to your question That is the part that is paramount because that is an invaluable self-discovery exercise that will just always be key to helping you navigate and negotiate how money impacts your life and how it is that you go about giving it intentional direction. Well, that is it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way until the end. I hope that you have enjoyed this series. And remember, if you want to share your money-related questions with me, you can still submit that question by going to jaquettetimmons.com forward slash ask dash me dash anything. And for the small business owners and entrepreneurs in our midst, if you want to examine the different relationships that influence the prices you charge and how each impacts your bottom line and personal financial health Two, join us for the pricing retreat on October 25th. The RSVP deadline has been extended. It is now October 23rd. And to watch the sneak peek interview, and I should say video, and to schedule a call with me so that we can have kind of like an interview, uh, go to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash hidden dash impact, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash hidden dash impact. I would love to help you answer the question, what should I charge for, for this and to do it from all sides. Again, thanks so much for listening. I know you have so many options when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you including this as one of them. If you aren't already a subscriber, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And while you are there, please leave a review and a rating. And if we are not connected on social media, well, then let's get connected. You can do so by putting my name in the Twitter or Instagram search bar, Jacquette Timmons, and my handle will come up. And remember until next time that it is about more than money.